Imagine a city with the human capital of more than 20 million people. A city with impressive and competitive ambition, talent, and leadership. Now imagine that city as a science city, an innovation city, a knowledge capital of the world. Welcome to Mexico City. While it faces a number of acknowledged urban challenges, Mexico City's ready to tackle them. In September 2008, Mexico City's mayor, Marcelo Ebrard, brought together some of the leading global voices in science and innovation, and more than 300 business leaders, policymakers, and educators to tap Mexico City's potential as a knowledge capital. This is part one of the 2008 Science and Innovation Week podcast series. There is no precedent for a great meeting like this in the city of Mexico, not only because various Nobel laureates and outstanding personalities from very different fields gather here today, but also because, in the case of our city, this is the first time that we convene to think about science, innovation, and the economy of the future that we want to build. This is the first time that the private sector, the national academic institutions of Mexico City, and very prominent figures from all over the world come together. This is a dialogue between us and between us and the world. This is Marcelo Ebrard, the mayor of Mexico City. This podcast series will take a look at four key focus areas of the conference. Health and medicine, green science, education and universities, and innovation policy models. Up next, a look at Mexico's current health system, some potential technological solutions, and new areas of research that could push Mexico City ahead as a leader in the field of biomedical research. So one thing we need to understand is the world has become much more complicated. We used to have a simple world where the poor countries in the world, it was, you know, common infections, women dying in childbirth, malnutrition. And then you had the rich countries with cancer and heart attacks and complicated things like that. That's no longer the world we live in. Meet Julio Frank, who from 2000 to 2006 was Mexico's Minister of Health. Currently the senior fellow at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and executive vice president of the Carso Health Institute, Frank explains the dilemma of healthcare in Mexico. We have lived through a health revolution. Mortality rates have come down everywhere, even in sub-Saharan Africa, where there's been huge reversals because of the AIDS epidemic. But by and large, the world has been moving through an era of the largest gains in life expectancy in history. But that progress has been actually very unfair, very uneven. So what you have today is most countries like Mexico are experiencing a triple burden. They still have an unfinished agenda, which are the old problems of malnutrition, women dying in childbirth, and common infections. In our case, in Mexico, highly focalized among the poorest of the poor, which are the indigenous communities and people in rural areas. But at the same time, without having solved those problems, we're now facing the same problems as rich countries, the emerging problems of heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, smoking, I mean, all of these new risk factors. And then on top of that, we are part of the world, so we have a third challenge, which affects all countries, which are the health problems derived from globalization, whether it's pandemics like, you know, AIDS or a potential pandemic of influenza that would disrupt the whole world, or whether it's the health effects of climate change. These are forces that affect every single country. The issue that most developing countries is that their health systems have not responded to these new realities. 
So to begin with, most health systems in poor countries are underfunded. And that means that you have a huge variation, I would put it, in the quality of the places you go to. Now, Mexico, until the year 2003, had an additional problem, which is very common both in poor countries and also in the United States, which is a huge proportion of uninsured persons. In our case, it was 50%. And that means that because you have all of these emerging diseases that are very complex and expensive to prevent and treat, a new phenomenon of people becoming poor because they need to pay for health care, which is an inherently unfair situation. I call it an unacceptable paradox because you know we know that health is one of the main ways to help people lift themselves out of poverty, and yet it becomes a cause of impoverishment. So while Frank was Mexico's Minister of Health, he made one really big move. The main thing I did as Minister of Health was introduce a scheme to extend insurance over a seven-year period. We're on year five, and it is working, so that by 2010, Mexico will have universal health insurance. Those are the challenges we're facing. A much more complex health situation, underfunded systems, huge heterogeneity in quality, and huge problems of access because millions and millions of persons are uninsured, and either they give up care completely and then have family members die unnecessarily, or they actually have to spend themselves down further into poverty than they were already before. Mexico has a multi-level healthcare system. If you're employed, you have access to a network health system called the IMMS. If you work for the government, treatment comes from a separate system. If you're unemployed, your health care comes from a network called SSA that requires payment for all treatment. And on top of all of these systems, there are private clinics. Managing the health of a country of 110 million people poses some big challenges to accessing care. Roberto Tapia Conyar is a physician in Mexico and works with the Carso Health Institute to integrate telecommunication systems into health services. Well, what I'm considering here is more the use of the day-by-day communication systems that we are used to at the internet, the mobile phone infrastructure, but also the main lines at household level, and even the street booth can be used as a way to incorporate technology into the health system. So it's really using the day-by-day applications that we use for other things, how can be used in enhancing health systems and for people to have a better use of their treatment, health messaging, and also to be more aware of the importance of their treatments. So it, it has a number of applications. By innovating with existing technology, Tapia Conyer says the Mexican health system can reach a new level of access and care. He describes how this system might be used by an HIV patient. We've developed a system that you have three services. One, that you know more about the medication. Second, it's a reminder process where you can use your cellular phone as an instrument where you can be reminded that it's time for you to take your medication and you can interact with the system that where you can say, yes, I took my medication already. But besides, there's a third component, which is registering your laboratory component, which is all the workload, the laboratory studies, like, for instance, viral load, uh, CD4, CD8s. These are number of cells of the virus that it's in the body, and then it can also be a way to follow up if you are complying with your treatment. Tapia Conyar teaches at UNAM, the National Autonomous University of Mexico, as well as the University of California, Irving. 
He says it's sometimes challenging to move ideas from the universities into the real world. I would say a challenging part is you really need for people to start thinking different. It's like, for instance, everybody would say, well, it's easy to consider that if you have a cellular phone, you can use it for health services. Yes, but you need to develop all the protocols so that you can use a technology. So it's not only turning on the cellular phone and then the, the data is going to come in. You have to develop all the algorithm and you have to develop all the research that's behind of what's useful because if you're going to use a technology you really want to use it on a very wisely way research then we can have innovation then it's the implementation part implementation i think is is where there's not a lot of experience the carso institute's telecommunication health system is an innovation success story it's already in use in parts of the country Systems like the Mexican telehealth system could be copied in countries with similar health challenges. India, for example, is seeing 8 million new cell phones added to networks each month, a huge opportunity to implement systems like Mexico's. Ellis Rubinstein, president of the New York Academy of Sciences, says creating innovative solutions to solve domestic challenges like access to care is key to Mexico becoming a knowledge center in Latin America. If it wants to push further and become a biomedical knowledge capital of the world, it needs to work on translating ideas. They have very, very strong clinical capacity. They have good hospitals, the potential of good health care. And what probably doesn't exist there, but that would be similar to many places, is the notion of translating what goes on in the basic labs to what is a capable of being delivered in the local hospitals. The opportunity for Mexico City to be a kind of a gateway if they were able to create a translational medicine center for the rest of Latin America, first Central America, which could use them, and even Latin America where there's some great strengths in some of the big cities. That opportunity is a very good one. So in the south of the city, with their collection of excellent hospitals and their enormous university, they have a chance if they would think about doing sort of your basic biomedicine, and especially if they don't try to reinvent the competition that is going on at the high end in stem cells and other things, but rather address it to more local and bigger social needs, uh, they have an opportunity to do quite a lot. Genomic science was a major focus of the Science and Innovation Week. It's one of the hottest fields in modern research with some of the most unprecedented discoveries in today's medicine. Tom Kasky is the director of the Institute of Molecular Medicine at the University of Texas in Houston. Genetics, I would say, is the most informative technology area to try to understand how a human works, how a plant works, how a fish works. It is the power technology. There's no doubt about that. Now, if you say, what will be the quick returns into medicine or into the society, I'm extremely enamored with the advances that have taken place in engineering. The engineering students are so bright and they're being so effective in a short period of time in creating new solutions that I think the combination of genetics and engineering really represent a powerhouse of ability to make discovery and convert it into utility. Mexico's beginning to realize the potential of genetic science. Rafael Palacios is an honorary professor at the Center for Genomic Sciences at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. There he coordinates the undergraduate genomic science program and hopes that he'll help prepare the next generation of Mexican genomic researchers. I asked him why he works with undergrads instead of graduate students. Well, first, they are fresh. They are not spoiled. They are talented. They have more neurons. So (laughs) they are still on time to learn 
and really go deep into mathematics, into statistics, into computer sciences, into all kinds of biology, biochemistry, molecular biology, cellular biology, developmental biology, and so on. So after that time, there's something to acquire all of this different disciplinary knowledge. With graduate students, it's more different. They are too focused in something. So the great idea, I think, was to make this at the undergraduate level. And it's what all our colleagues abroad have told us. Palacio's program has been extremely well received, and his students are committed to continuing research in Mexico rather than abroad. This is a key factor in maintaining a knowledge base. Frank says he's inspired by Mexico's current momentum, both by researchers like Palacios and policymakers like Abrard. I am very optimistic, and I'll tell you why. It's uh, because we have shown in health that we can achieve fantastic results. I mean, just look at the progress during the 20th century, particularly after World War II. We achieved a larger increase in life expectancy than in all the previously accumulated history of humankind. And that was driven by advances in knowledge, scientifically derived knowledge. Knowledge improves health through three mechanisms. First, it leads to technologies, better drugs, better vaccines. In addition to that, knowledge becomes internalized by people who then use it to structure their behavior in the key domains of everyday life. I mean, people wash their hands because, you know, of all the scientific evidence that microbes actually do cause disease. So knowledge becomes internalized and becomes a way of dealing with your everyday experience. So it's not just the ivory tower producing the new drugs or vaccines. It's also, you know, that knowledge becomes internalized through the educational process. And that's why science education is so important in every society. The third mechanism by which it improves health is when it becomes the guiding element to formulate public policy. So when policymakers become enlightened by knowledge, they can say, yes, we are going to immunize every kid because there's no better investment. Up next in this series, how green science could save Mexico City major money and energy and provide a big opportunity to innovate in a way that highly developed countries don't have. 